Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Probably had some kind of um, healing oil in the salve. Uh, and they would get eye infections or, or whatever, and, and this salve would heal uh, what ailed them. And they would, they, uh, they would take it, and it became very popular. They, uh, they put it out across the, uh, the known world there. It was very, everyone knew Laodicea for their famous healing eye salve. Jesus is going to use that as a metaphor shortly. They also produced, number two, they produced a glossy black fine wool cloth from which the wealthy people made garments and clothing because they were the only ones that could afford this. Ladies, these, these were, this was black uh, cloth that shimmered in the sun. It was very shiny, and it was jet black, and it was beautiful. And, uh, man, if you owned a piece of garment like that and you walked out in the sun, you got people looking at you. It was beautiful. They were known for this. Number three, Laodicea was located near two other cities, Hierapolis, which was known for its hot springs, kind of like we have some up in the hills here in Idaho. They were known for their hot springs. And Colosse, which was known for its pure cold water drawn from the wells in the city there. Now, Laodicea lacked their own significant water source. They could not take care of themselves for water. They didn't have enough. They didn't have near enough. And so what they did is they built Roman aqueducts. And in, uh, outside of um, uh, in Israel, they still have them. Um, and, they, and they're beautiful. They're, they're, they've got these beautiful arches. They stand 20 uh, feet tall, I would guess. And you know, they're a trough. They're lifted up and they're a trough so that you can get the right you know, angle on it, and that they would bring water. And in this case, it was six miles to Hierapolis to bring water, warm water, all the way into the city there of Laodicea. And then, of course, Colossae had this fresh-tasting cold water, but they're five miles away, so you can imagine what it was like when it arrived uh, it arrived, both of them actually arrived in a lukewarm state that was really unpalatable, not very good to drink, not very fun anyway. So let's see if you can catch on these examples uh, in the commendation of Christ to this church in verse 14. And to the, to the angel or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Note here, Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis 1.1. He's laying out his credentials. They're just not being talked to by an apostle, although you know, we know that the apostles wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm the one from the beginning. And in this, he doesn't mean that's when he started. He means he was there at the beginning. He is the pre-incarnate God who became man. When Jesus mounts his white horse to return to earth, and we follow behind to witness this awesome event at the closing of human history, Jesus will have two names written on him. On one thigh, he's wearing a beautiful, perfect white garment, by the way, 
And on one, one thigh he has written in blood, faithful. And on the other thigh it says, true. He is faithful and he is true. He is faithful to his father. He is faithful to his word. He is faithful to you and I. And all of those things are true. And he reminds us of that in his opening here. And this is his evaluation for the church of Laodicea, which is neither faithful nor true, which is why he draws this metaphor for them. Jesus is the only one that can speak these words perfectly to them. Verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. You see, on a hot day, a cool drink is good. A cold drink is good. On a cold day, a hot drink is good. But, you know, just speaking for myself, there's never a good time for lukewarm water. Not for me. I don't care if it's hot or cold day outside. I don't like lukewarm. I like one or the other. Verse 16, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh. If they weren't listening then, they are now. Ouch. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. (laughs) Listen, no one likes to hear criticism, but Jesus is speaking the truth in love here. Both attributes are in his nature. In order to shed light on the growing cancer from within this church, he's just turning on the light. He's just getting real with them. And he brings clarity and the ability to affect godly and productive change in our lives. Would we criticize a doctor for telling us that we have a disease in our body? No, we would probably thank him for finding it and then ask him, how can, I, how can we deal with this? What's the next step? And then we'd begin the treatment for this for the doctor. That's all Jesus does here. He's just turning a light on the room of what already is existing here. He's turning a light on what this church is doing and what they're not doing. And he points out the congregation and where they stand with him and how they can get corrected The first step in becoming healthy is to admit that they're sick and in need of a doctor. You may remember Jesus saying, I haven't come for those that aren't sick. You know, the Pharisees and all those that think they're perfect, I didn't come for them. They have no need of a physician. I came for these people, the sick, the blind, the lame, those that know that they need me. I came for them. Like the church of Ephesus, they had left their first love behind. How tragic. Jesus brought truth into the hearts and minds of the church so they could have the opportunity to return to him, rekindle their love for him. As we've been talking about here, each time Jesus corrects a church, he does it with three words. He says, I want you to remember. Remember, go back to what you've been taught. Remember what Paul taught you. Remember what John taught you. Remember what Peter taught you. Remember the letters that you have read. Remember who I am. Remember what I did for you. Always go back and remember. And then number two, he tells them to repent. Because they've headed in the wrong direction, because they have wandered away from God, repent means to turn around and come back. It can be done physically, and it can be done mentally, and it can be done spiritually. He's telling them, change your mind 
Stop looking at the world. Stop getting infatuated with riches and the things the world's offering here. Those are not the true riches. I have the true riches, Jesus says. So turn around and come back to me because I want to give them to you. And then he says to repeat. Do this over and over every day in obedience through their love and and faithfulness to God once more. Jesus had four criticisms of Laodicea. The first criticism here in your notes, they lost their passion. They lost their passion. So when uh, he says in verse 16, so then because you are lukewarm, when when you're lukewarm, you've lost your passion. Notice that there are three temperatures listed here. Hot, cold, and lukewarm. Hot, cold, and lukewarm. God wanted them to be on fire for him. If they had been cold, though, at least they would have realized there's a problem. You see, when you want to be hot, I mean, you understand you're hot when you're hot, right? My wife gets hot. And so we have this struggle over the thermostat. But she knows when she's hot. I know when I'm cold. (laughs) But that's a good thing. If you're hot, you know you're hot. If you're cold, you know you're cold. But if you're lukewarm, you're just like the frog in the pot. You're susceptible to kind of any temperature here. And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling them. Look, be, be, be hot for me or be cold for me. At least if you're cold, you know you're not with me. But don't play this game where you try to skate the fence here with me. Sadly, I believe a large percentage of believers live in this spiritual condition where they risk nothing and experience very little. They simply exist in a state of non-effectiveness like that of, uh, of Sweden. They're a neutral country or a neutral Christian who make little or no difference in the outcome of the spiritual battles going on all around them. Teddy Roosevelt understood the passive critic because he was getting hammered uh, by by critics in the news. He knew it very well, and he wrote the following statement. I love this statement, by the way. I saved it, and it's under my, uh, my quotes that I have in my computer He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring to do great things so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know know victory nor defeat. Wow. I don't want to be lukewarm. Mm -mm. 
That's not how I'm going down in history. I'm not going to do it. Listen, if you've slipped into neutral here, and it's easy to do, if you've slipped into neutral, spiritually speaking, of course, God allows midlife adjustments. And here's, here's what I would tell you to do. Get back up. Get back into the game. And I would encourage you to get discipled. Now, when before you know, we, this whole virus thing started, um, and I want to chase that rabbit. Don't do it. Okay, so before this whole thing started, um, we had somewhere, I'm told, 70-something disciples, 80-something people that had been discipled at our church, in our young church. But so many people have come and gotten discipled here at the church that we're now pressing towards the 200 mark. That blows my mind away. If you have never been discipled, you need to get discipled. I would encourage you to, to contact Pastor Matt, Pastor John. They can, they can get you signed up. You go through, you know, I think it's 13 weeks, and there's 13 things Jesus Christ taught. See, we're told to go make disciples, right? Then we, we baptize them, and we do that here. But then Jesus says, then go and teach them everything I've taught you. That's discipleship. Those are the three things. If I'm, we're going to do three things in this church, those are the three things. If my father told me to do these three things, that's what we're doing. Uh, there's no, no room for movement on that. So get discipled and get back into the game so that you can finish. See, it's not where you are now. It's how you finish. You want to finish well. Jesus is coming back. And I don't think there's a lot of time to wait. So don't wait. Be ready when he gets here. So the first criticism, they lost or maybe never had passion, their passion. And then second criticism, they lost their values. Their whole value system got turned upside down. Listen, verse 17, he says, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. They don't need Jesus. They've got it all. They're wearing the beautiful clothing. They've got the golden rings. They're driving the latest edition of the Ferrari Camel. I don't know. They've got it all, though. You know? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he's good. But they're looking outward at the, what the world has to offer and thinking they're rich. And Jesus says, and you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch! Now he's just getting real. He, I mean, he's getting in their grill right here. <laughs> he says, I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Don't seek the gold that the world... That isn't going to do you any good. But the gold that I have for you, you can lay ahead as treasure in heaven. It'll be awaiting you when you arrive. I counsel you to buy... From me, gold refined in the fire through adversity, through the challenges they were facing, that you may be rich in a true way, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You see, on the cross, this is, it was the, the, the beautiful exchange. We brought our filthy, dirty gar garments to Christ, 
our sin nature. And Jesus on the cross reached down and we did this amazing exchange. He took our unholy, filthy rags. He took off his perfect white garment and he put it on us. And he who knew no sin, he bore our sin on the cross. He did that for you and he did it for me. That's what he's talking about here. And this church had it upside down. They had lost their way. They had lost that first love that brought them to Christ. That was in their rearview mirror. They didn't think about him anymore. And it gets worse. He contrasts that with Laodiceans who believed that they were wealthy while actually they were poor in the true riches of God. Money, clothes, and fame are poor indicators of true wealth. They really are. Look at those in Hollywood, and, and you, I mean, if you look at just a few of them, you'll see that that's true. You can have all the money, all the yachts, all the fame, but it doesn't bring true happiness. It doesn't bring real joy. It doesn't create for them the purpose of living that they're looking for. Sadly, Robin Williams found that out. In the end, life is meaningless to him. What a tragedy. And this church was going down that road, and Jesus is going, stop, stop where you are. And the church was operating in the world's values rather than the true values from God. The first criticism, they had lost their passion. The second criticism, they lost their values. And the third criticism, they lost their vision. Verse 18, here's that salve that we were talking about. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He's talking about the salve that comes from him, the healing that comes from him. Remember, this city was famous for its healing ISAV. The church of Laodicea was blinded to the reality that their congregation had slowly become an exclusive country club for the rich and the famous when its mission was to be a hospital that reached the lost and dying. And I won't name names here, but there are churches in the news right now that, uh, that have the rich and famous going, and the, the cameras are there, and the Cadillacs are there, and the Rolls Royces pull up, and it's all about the rich and famous coming to church. And that's the last thing Jesus was talking about. They'd missed the complete point. When a church loses its vision to love God and to love people and to serve them, it loses its God-given mission and calling. They no longer have one. They've wandered off, and now they, they can't quite seem to, to fix what it is that they're missing. And when that happens, the church is no longer concerned with the outside or what's outside of its doors. And its primary focus moves to what is happening inside the doors and the pleasure they can get. Jesus continues now in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Listen, Jesus loves you, so he's going to tell you the truth. It does no good to lie to you. If the doctor came in after seeing that you had cancer and told you, oh, everything's great, you would go home happy, but you would never find healing. And one day you might die from it. That would be irresponsible and Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now, we, we automatically think that's an unbeliever, right? This is written to the church. Christians, just as you and me, have we locked Jesus outside of our lives? Have we locked him outside of this church? I think the answer is no right now. But we need to be wary of this. We need to have our guard up so that that may never be said about our church and about our lives personally. This church had lost its vision to the point they couldn't see that they had locked Jesus outside. Churches who drift away no longer want to be corrected or confronted when that's exactly what what are needed. You see, if Christ is outside the church, the church can just go along with business as usual. They won't have guilt. They won't have regret. As long as Jesus is outside, only the country club mindset is what this church wanted. Not loving their neighbors or seeking the lost. Just closed doors and a closed heart to the Lord's vision for his church. Listen, God has one vision and one mission for his church. He doesn't have a vision and mission for that church down the street and one here and, and one over in, the, in Star. Or, you know, he has one vision for the church. That virgin, version is in three prongs. Go make disciples and then baptize them and then teach them. And go out and do it again. Go get some more people that you can make disciples, you can share Christ with, and then baptize them, and then, and then teach them everything I taught you. It just goes over and over and over. It's been going on for 2,000 years. It's what, why Christianity is the largest um, religion, as they say. I hate that word, but it's the largest religion in the world still to this day. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Now, I confess that I'm not aware that I've ever been in a church like Laodicea, but I've read and heard about many churches that are like this. Vincent Van Gogh, the artist, the painter, painted a masterpiece called The Church at Auvers that depicts what I'm trying to describe here to you. This was an actual church in Van Gogh's town. Notice that there are no doors that lead into the church, not even a pathway. A woman walks past the church with no awareness of it, There are no church members in sight, for they are happy to remain safely inside, apart from the common dirty people, the poor and the hurting that they're trying to avoid. What a tragic and lifeless and useless, ineffective church this is. And we must strive daily. We, my friends, are the doors. We are the doors. We're the doorway that someone might have an interaction with Christ. See, they're not going to go read the Bible all by themselves. They're going to talk to you about it. The, the only Bible many people read, as it said, is the believer, how they're living, what they have to say about a situation, how they're going through hardship. You become the doorway into a relationship with Christ for them. And then you become a doorway into the church body here to worship and to fellowship together. That takes us to Christ's final criticism. There's only one final stage before this church dies. Number four, the fourth criticism, they lost their radiance. They lost their radiance. 
We've, uh, we've read several times now of the white garments that Christ has for his faithful servants uh, when we get to heaven. And he's warned us against defiling these clothes by compromising with the world like the Laodiceans had. They'd, their value system had been turned upside down. Uh, these white garments are the righteous acts of service to the Lord as we are sanctified by Christ. Uh, we know into the uh, we grow into the righteousness He already provides us at the cross. We're made righteous immediately, but then we grow into that as we grow into uh, what Christ has already made of us. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I close with this. Do you know that you're an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? Have you accepted the forgiveness that God has offered through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? Today you can do that. You can make that decision. It's the greatest single decision any human being can make in their life because it deals with eternity. You want to get that right before you leave planet Earth. You want to get that right before He comes back. And as I said, it could be any minute now. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.